Welcome on this good day that the Lord has made. I'm Joe Van Hoogen and this is the Bread of Life. Our program is presented by the International Disciple Making Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism. I encourage you to learn more about the amazing work we're doing around the world. Just go to traincpe.org and to learn more about this radio ministry at our Missions Fellowship in Boise, Idaho, go to breadoflifeboise.org. It's from that fellowship that we share with you God's Word. In Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, Paul is letting those he's writing to know the theme of his letter. He's writing to them to make known the gospel. And Paul gives them the broadest view of that gospel in one phrase. It is the gospel of God. Good news of God because God planned it, promised it, and provided it for us. And today we learn it's good news from God because it's good news to God. God's gospel. It's God's good news. It's God's work. It's what God has accomplished for us. Here's the third thing I want you to see here. It's good news. It's the good news of God because it's good news to God. It's the good news of God because it's good news to God. It's good news to God because He has accomplished a way of our salvation that glorifies and exalts all that He is. God is glorified by what is in keeping with all that God is. And God has crafted a salvation for us that satisfies himself. It satisfies his justice against sin. It satisfies his righteous requirements for fellowship with him. In order to commune and fellowship with God, he, we must be righteous and be made righteous ourselves. It satisfies His holy standard. It allows us who were sinners to be brought into His holiness and be made holy as He is holy. And so it satisfies God's holiness as well. It satisfies His love for us who are lost and separated from Himself. It satisfies His mercy for the weak. It's not a mercy that has compromised anything else in God. It's not a mercy that called for God to compromise His perfect justice or His perfect righteousness or His perfect and utter holiness. It's a loving salvation that God has provided that bears all the marks of all that God is. It lays in full force His supreme and profound hatred against wickedness and evil and sin. It lays in full force His just wrath against all things contrary to Him. And yet with all of this, it still gives expression to His deep and profound love and mercy and deliverance for those that He sets His love upon. What I'm saying is the gospel of God is good news to God. It's glad news to God for it's born out of all that God is. God is not compromised in any attribute, by a salvation. Instead, all of his attributes are wonderfully highlighted in that salvation. And that makes it good. That makes it good. There's another reason why it's good news to God. It's good news to God because it's good news for us. And it's good news for his creation. The only true good that we can know are those things that come to us as good and perfect gifts from God. And Only when God is ultimately glorified in all things can we realize what satisfies us in all our lives. So God finds a way so that the good news, the glad and good news, and a cause of great rejoicing might come upon us and deliver us. Something that will reflect all that He is. 
exposing and bringing us into all of that goodness so that he might save us and deliver us to himself. So it's good. It's good for him because it glorifies him. It's good for me because it glorifies him. It's the thing that brings ultimate blessing to us. God rejoices in the gospel because it's good. His glory is good for you and I. In Luke chapter 15, which we had as our scripture reading, the Lord Jesus uses three different parables to express God's great interest in our salvation and delight in our salvation. There, the Lord Jesus points out that all heaven rejoices over one sinner that repents. I'll just let you know, in heaven, the angels gather around the throne of God. We're told in Isaiah 6 that they cry out, holy, holy, holy. In other words, their job is to speak in reverent awe of what it is that is before their eyes. And so they're simply with words and with their oaths mirroring the glory that's before them. They're responsibly declaring to all the earth what they see upon the face of God. Your holiness, your holiness, your holiness. And so when the Bible says all heaven rejoice over one sinner repents, it means that God is rejoicing over one sinner that repents. God is delighted over the salvation of one repenting sinner, and so all of the angels of heaven are manifesting and radiating the joy of the Father, the joy of the Son, the joy of the Spirit, and our salvation. That's the point of those parables. In fact, there is a triune formula there as well. The first parable is the parable of a shepherd who goes and rescues his sheep, and the Lord Jesus said of himself, I am the good shepherd. And so you have the son rejoicing over the deliverance of the salvation of one individual who repents. The next parable is the parable of a woman who is sweeping her house for a lost coin. And the coin is actually not that valuable, but women in those days used to put together coins that is a headband on their heads to demonstrate their marriage vows. So she's looking, it's like if you had lost your wedding ring and you were sweeping the house for your wedding ring or your diamond had fallen out and you were looking for it. In this case, it wasn't valuable except that it represented the depth of her love and her commitment. And so she's sweeping the house looking for that coin, that thing that she had lost. She turns on all the lights and she sweeps through the home and when she finds it, she rejoices. And this is a wonderful portrait of the work of the Holy Spirit who turns on the light of conscience within us and sweeps over us his convicting work sifting through our lives demonstrating to us our sin and our lack of righteousness and even cultivating within us through that searchlight of his presence a fear of judgment in order that we might turn and believe and trust the salvation that God would have us in order that we may be restored to the Father. So it's an image and a picture of the searching and seeking of the Spirit, the joy the Spirit has in us being found. And then obviously the last story is the story of the prodigal son who's in rebellion, fled from his home and his, his departure and separation in consequence has created a kind of spiritual death in his life. The father refers to his condition once he returns saying he was dead. Sin separates us from God and this separation is in consequence spiritual death to us. But the father in the story longs for the son's return and when he does return, the father pours out blessing upon his son and rejoices that who was lost is found and he who is dead has been made alive. Calls everybody in this household to rejoice and celebrate. It's the 
good news of the Son of God, the shepherd. It's good news to God, the Spirit, the, the woman sweeping her house for the lost coin. It's good news for God, the Father Almighty, lovingly waiting for the return of a lost son. In each case, the shepherd rejoices, the woman rejoices, the father rejoices. What is Jesus saying? God, the triune God, rejoices in your salvation. It's His good news because it's good news to Him. He's found a way to restore unto Himself the lost treasure of our fellowship with Him. And He's found a way to pour out upon us the treasures of all of His goodness unendingly so they might be enjoyed by us. And this is good news to God. You might think that the good news is mostly good news because it's been good for you. That's how you've added it up. In fact, oftentimes it's how it's always presented to us. Just good news for yourself. Escape from judgment, get to go to heaven, maybe get some benefits on the way, good fellowship, some nice songs to sing when you go to church, and good news, your best life now. No, that's not the supreme expression of the goodness of the good news. That's not the high point of the good news, not what it's done for you, although that's wonderful, wonderful. It's good news, ultimately, the greatest portrait and expression of the breadth of the good news is that it's it's good to God. It's God's gospel. It's His good news. It highlights all that He is. It's in keeping with all of His nature, not compromised in any way. It's, it's good because it reveals the deep, profound desire of God to pour out His benefit and blessing upon us. It's good to Him because it restores us to Himself. I think to myself of a father who might have a child who's wandered off into rebellion and maybe that rebellion has taken hold of them and they're in such bondage and the, the child doesn't even know the precarious state that they're in. They've been gone for a long time and the father has scoured papers looking for them and put up posters looking for them and broadcast through the news media and tried to find people searching for this child that's been wandered away and because of the rebellion they've been caught up in a syndicate of sin and they're bound within it but some way they get some weak message out of where they're located. They want to go back home and the father finds them and the child is relieved to be found but they're still in an adult state because of their sin but the father is deliriously happy. He knows what he's rescuing them from, even when they don't. And he knows what he's been storing up and keeping for them back home, even when they're not clear enough in their mind to realize it. Good news to the Father above everything else. This is good news to God. Paul calls it the glorious gospel of the blessed God. Not simply because we bless him, but because he's blessed by the gospel he brings to us. This is, by the way, the highest and purest motivation that can come to us if we're to move to the gospel and if we're to proclaim that gospel to others. The highest motivation to move to it is because it's good to God. It's good for God. The greatest reason to proclaim it to others is because it's good news to them. Yes, it's good news to God. He wants them to hear it. He wants them to know it. It's his good news. For this reason we serve Him. For this reason we come. Not simply for ourselves, but to satisfy the heart of one who loved us so much as to provide this good news to us. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. At the threshold 
of something great and grand and glorious that we've yet to comprehend. And so used to speaking about this word gospel and good news that we forget how truly good it is. We forget to delight in it for what it has brought to us. What it has opened up for our lives. We forget to delight in it for what it has delivered us from. And where our lives would be in the trajectory of our lives without it. We forget to glory in it for what it means to you. Oh, good God. What it means to you. So profoundly and wonderfully glorious in all that you do, even in this great work of salvation. So wonderfully expressive of the depth of your being that throughout all eternity we will rejoice and glory in this salvation. And we shall form our worship of you around this great gospel. Good news. Help us to understand it and know it. Knowing it and comprehending it, oh God, bind our hearts to as never before. I want to direct you now to a different website at the end of our broadcast than I usually do. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 commands that the Christian test themselves to see if they're in the faith. In answer to this command and with the desire to bring Christians into a sound and true assurance of saving faith, we've developed a website and a book for this purpose. Go to SavingEvangelicals.com and take the test and order the book by the same name, Saving Evangelicals. I can't think of a more important book for our day. Again, thanks for listening to The Bread of Life. Until the next time, may God bless you.